3: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonico. Alyssa, something has been vexing me a little bit. Okay. I need to know when spooky season can officially start.
4: Well, Erin, here's the thing. The other day, it was the last day the sun was going to go down after 7 p.m. for like the rest of eternity. So I feel like we need an upside to it being darker and darker. And so I feel like spooky season should sort of start now. Start when the sun is no longer up past 7 p.m.
3: Yes. It's time to get spooky. Yes. I think that's great because then when you get home from work or you get done with your work for the day or the work, you know, people are starting to settle in
4: for the evening. It's dark enough to watch a scary movie. Correct. And also the spooky ghost with the bubbling candle that I ordered from Vermont country stores should arrive shortly and I want to use it immediately. I think you absolutely should. I think
3: the October 1st deadline is
4: it's not generous enough considering how great a holiday Halloween is. I agree and it's not like I'm in- inflicting pumpkin spice anything on anybody it's just it's just my ghost.
3: No. And you know also spooky season never feels like an encroachment like Christmas before Thanksgiving does.
4: Totally agree.
3: Totally agree. Like I've seen I've started to see some like Halloween stuff in Michaels a few weeks ago and I was like, "Okay, yeah, okay, it's I'm not mad. Yeah. Then a couple aisles over, Christmas stuff. Mm-mm. No, too soon. Too no, soon. not doing that. <laughs> this week, Congresswoman Cori Bush and Dr. Heather Iribunda join us to tackle the following questions. What happens when regular people who are actually affected by laws become members of Congress? Can the COVID vaccine really impact your fertility? What damage has Nicki Minaj's alleged cousins, alleged friends, alleged balls done in the battle against COVID dis and misinformation? All this and more right now. All right, we have a great show today. Um, so we're just going to do a little bit of news to start the show before we get to our interview. I'm really, really excited about the interview, and I'm really excited about our personal political guest today. It's a real, it's a home bang. run. It's a banger of a show for sure. Um, So first, Alyssa, I want to give you an update about what's going on with the Texas abortion law, SB8. Okay. Um, So you may recall when the bill was passed back in May and then enacted on September 1st, there was some chatter that this bill would be, uh, in legal terms, a shit show. Yep. Yep. And uh, this week, we saw the first lawsuits filed by ordinary citizens against a person aiding and abetting an abortion, which is what the law provides for. And I'm happy to report, Alyssa, that it is an absolute shit show. Absolute shit show. So here's what happened. Okay. There's an abortion doctor named Dr. Alan Braid, who has been performing abortions since the 1970s. Um, He did an abortion on a woman who was beyond the legal cutoff in the state of Texas, which is around six weeks now, according to the new law, which is around two weeks after a woman's misperiod, which is ridiculous. The baby at that point is the size of a pea. It is not enough reason to deny a woman medical care. So uh, this doctor performed an abortion against the law in Texas, wrote an op-ed that was like, Look what I did. Double middle finger to all the people trying to take women's rights away. And then two lawsuits were filed against him. One of them was by—they're wacky, Alyssa. They are—
4: Well, Aaron, this is the point of the show, meaning of this abortion shit show, where very zany things start happening about very serious issues.
3: Yes, exactly. Because this is a very serious issue and nothing serious has happened around this. I mean, this doctor did a serious thing, put himself out there and wackiness has ensued as a result. One of the people filing a lawsuit is a man from Arkansas who is a disbarred attorney currently on house arrest, who basically filed the lawsuit to be like, "Eh, $10,000 seems good. I kind of want to test the law, see if it'll work. Did he do a press conference in front of Four Seasons Landscaping while he was uh, at it? Well, he is on house arrest, so he would have to make a fe- he would have to make a fake Four Seasons Landscaping backdrop for uh, his uh, for his house. But that would have been funny. The second person to file a lawsuit is a man in Chicago who is pro-choice and is filing the lawsuit specifically to challenge the law as ridiculous so neither of these people actually live in texas they're just the according to the law the letter of the law is any old person from any old state can file suit against a person in texas that aids and abets an abortion and so this is what you fucking get pro-lifers like this is what you get way to go i know good job guys you did it um texas right to life is not happy about this Um, because they're complaining. They're like, well, these people aren't sincerely pro-life. And it's like, bitch, where is it in the bill? It's not in the bill. Yeah, write better fucking laws, guys, because this law sucks, and now you're about to experience it the consequences of your own actions. Uh, Anyway, it's it's a very funny scenario, uh, and I hope that for all the wackiness this resolves in a manner that uh, victimizes as few Texas women as possible. Correct. Um, because this is is already shaping up to be a real shit show. And it also drives home the point that Greg Abbott cannot govern. He is. <laughs> He's the, le- the bitch least able to govern that we've seen to date. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Ron DeSantis are like in, they're like. The Miss American They're like hold my beer. Yes, Miss American Bitch Unable to Govern and first runner up, Miss American Bitch Unable to Govern.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um
3: Christy Nome Miss Congeniality, but everybody forgets about her because nobody lives in South Dakota compared to Texas. Um, okay, do we have a
4: toast this week? We do. We have we have a great toast, Erin. Okay. My one of my favorite things is when you and I, which happens a lot, just text about things that relate to the great outdoors. (laughs) And today we are here to toast Betty Reed Soskin. She's turning a hundred years old and she is the oldest active ranger in the National Park Service. And for the past decade or so, she has also been shining a light on the World War II women of diverse backgrounds who helped us get through a very terrible time. And I mean, who better to celebrate today? I am wearing a ranger shirt just for the occasion. I absolutely
3: love that. What is, it's
4: like wildlife. It looks like some fish. It's like, it's like fish. I have fish on. I have some mallards. I mean, it's L.L. Bean, baby. What do you think? I think it's absolutely great. There's some moose. There's moose. There's deer. All the things we love.
3: Yeah, L.L. Bean stands for ladies love bean. See? Right?
4: We do. We do.
3: <laughs> Um, so Ranger Betty, she has her own uh, Instagram account. You can yes. find that the National Park Service posted about her on their official Instagram account, but she's got her own Instagram account too. Also, this woman is, I, I don't like to use the word badass because it's become like ad copy words. It's true. But, but she's- she- does seem like quite a badass, I, I've got to say. Um, she looks awesome in her uniform. Her hat looks great on her. That hat would
4: look so stupid on me. She really pulls it off. And she's 100 years old. I am like... And still doing it every day for the National Park Service. See, that's that's the kind of thing that makes me feel patriotic. Me too. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Betty. Okay, let's take a quick break. When
3: we come back, we have an interview with Representative Cory Bush. And welcome back. Alyssa, you know how there are some members of Congress that you are really proud of the work they do, but you also are sort of like, I kind of want to hang out with this person? Uh, obviously. Yes. I think there's a f- there's a few that I'm like, okay, first of all, this person kicks ass at their job. Second of all, can I be this person's friend. Um and we are welcoming one of those members of Congress today. We are so excited to have her. It is Congresswoman Cory Bush. She represents Missouri's first congressional district and she is also a registered nurse, an organizer, a community activist, a single mom, and an ordained pastor. She is the first Black woman and the first nurse to represent Missouri in Congress, and she's also the first guest we've had on this show that has their own Ben and Jerry's flavor. <laughs> more, more on that later. Welcome, <laughs> Congresswoman Cory Bush. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for the invite.
3: Uh, We're really, really excited that you're here. Um, On Tuesday, let's get right into it. On Tuesday, Representative Jayapal told reporters that progressives in the House are still a no on the infrastructure bill if it comes to a vote on Monday if the reconciliation bill hasn't passed the Senate, now that scenario is looking it's unlikely that it will have passed the Senate by then. Why is this fight an important fight for progressives to wage? and how do you think it could potentially influence the way that the house operates?
0: We have a chance for this once in a generation investment in our in our in our children, in our families um, especially for mothers. The future of our planet right now. And that can be accomplished. The help that's needed, the assistance that's needed, um, it can be accomplished through the Build Back Better Act. As progressives, we have been very clear, like you said, you know, my progressive uh, caucus colleagues and I have been very outspoken saying that, um, you know, we must pass the Build Back Better Act, that reconciliation bill, um, before we take up infrastructure. Uh, both have to pass the House and the Senate in order for us to uh, move forward with voting um, for that bipartisan infrastructure infrastructure package. Um, it's important because we're talking about universal pre-K. We're talking about those climate investments that we need. We're talking about um, prescription drug coverage and expanding Medicare to the point to where we, um, you know, our elders deserve vision and dental services um, to say the least. You know, we're um, uh paid family leave. We've been talking about paid family leave, making investments, community violence in um, um, interventions. We have so um, we have so many uh, communities that need this help that need direct investments that they can feel. I'm all about legislation that people can feel. You need to feel the difference and the change in your life. Um, because what else are we here for? If you don't get to fit, if it if it does not affect you um, and, and help make your lives, make your life better, what work did we just do? So I am absolutely um, I am disturbed <laughs> that my own colleagues within the Congress um, are fighting this, You're, and then they're fighting something that they don't even need. You're okay, like, but what about the people in your district, or not if your district, a neighboring district, another district? What about those people? Like, isn't that our work? <laughs> Unbelievable.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing midterms are usually unfavorable for the sitting president's party, it feels kind of like you have to shoot your shot right now. You know, if if folks are going to shoot, if folks are going to lose their seats anyway, isn't this legislation? worth taking that risk
0: (laughs) well you know what the thing is we came here so first of all what's the what's the point of having this uh uh having more than one party if we are going to toe this line and be and and try to you know make sure that Um, all of us are friends and that we are very, very careful. I understand making sure that we hold the majority and getting people reelected. I get that, but people elected us to be able to, because they felt that there was a difference in the Republican and the Democrat that they could have voted for. They felt like in November, this is the one that I want because this is the one I believe is going to fight for me. And so when we don't fight for them, then why did they have to choose between a a Democrat or a Republican? Um, And so right now, because we have the House, the Senate, and the white house we have to do like you said we have to shoot our shot at every single thing what can we do right now um, that we may not be able to do in two years six years you know 15 years what can we do right now and that's what we're looking at um, we don't we may not have another chance to do this and for those who refuse to support a 3.5 trillion dollar top line like what is it that you want to cut like, you you know, what is it that you're saying your people don't deserve? Because that's really what it is. What don't your people deserve that the big corporations that fund
4: you do? Congresswoman, for the first time ever, as we were just talking about, we see some truly progressive policies with a real chance to become law because they appeal to so much of the American electorate. These are popular policies. Progressive values seem to gain more traction when we elect regular people who have personal stakes in the issues before Congress. Before this, as Erin said at the top, you were a nurse, an activist, just a human who has lived and experienced the issues you now advocate for. How has your life and career pre-Congress shaped and informed your work now?
0: Every single bit. Uh, And I haven't even seen all the ways yet, but just this over these last um, eight and a half months, I have been able to pull from, um, my past experiences in so many different ways. Whether it was looking at the American Rescue Plan and um, just what those invest those investments in um, in education, the investments in making sure that there was funding for um, for uh, housing. And um, as someone who's been evicted uh, more than once, you know, I've been evicted three times in my life. I was evicted once for um, because someone uh, I was the victim of very violent domestic assault um, from a partner. And um, I was evicted because of that situation. The investments that were made with that, plus looking at uh, how we're advocating, whether it's for um, Medicare for all or um, just so many of our priorities, it is because I've walked those things out, you know, and then so much is coming. So right now, the rocks, I plan to use all of the rocks that are in my quarry, you know? So all the things that were stumbling blocks, all of the things, all of the pain and the hurt that I've gone through and experienced, I want to use those things to help, like, use that to fuel my passion, to push harder, to make sure that regular everyday people in our districts get what they need. Because I feel like I remember being in those positions. I remember um living out of my car and feeling like, You know, things are happening, but they're happening like it's happening on a level that I have not reached. You know, so who speaks to the people that are on my level, who speaks to people who have gone through um, the, the trauma and the struggles that I have? um So it informs it 100 percent. As someone who's worked low wage, I worked low wage for 10 years. It messed up my credit going to the emergency room for Tuesday, you know, um and then but, but also working 40, 50 hours a week and um, still not being able to pay my bills because I was bringing home. after two weeks, you know, um, trying to, you know, support myself and children. Um, So all of those things, universal pre-K, when we think about universal pre-K, I worked for a child care center for 10 years. um, And um, I ended up being the assistant director of that child care center. And I couldn't even afford to send my own kids there. You know, so like, this is what we're talking about. Um, I think about the times when I had to vacate a home um, being evicted and I had to go buy trash bags because I couldn't afford boxes. Um, and I didn't have a moving company. So I had to keep making multiple trips in my car. Like that's what we're talking about. So it has 100% affected. It. And then let me also add um, once I became a nurse, seeing my patients. My patients and my clients that have gone through so much. We talk about mental health services. My patients, they only they came to the clinic because they wanted help, you know. But when we but when they get it make, make it to the clinic, if there the money isn't there for them to have the medication that they need, that's on us. And how dare we have our own democratic colleagues who who came against making sure that our drug prices, you know, are you know are are lowered because they're horrendous right now. Like this is
4: it's unbelievable. Do you? Given all that, do you have any words of encouragement for people who are coming up through the activism space who would make great elected officials but need that nudge to run?
0: Yes, Um, because the day before someone called me and asked me to run for office the very first time, I never had a, a desire um, or even a thought to run. As a matter of fact, when I was 18, around 18, 19 years old, I remember telling my father, who's been in politics for most of my life, an amazing politician, an amazing father, amazing father. I told him, I said, I'll never do what you do. I've never run for office because I just felt like there was so much greed and corruption around him. And he was just doing really good work. Um, and uh, so, but, so you, but the thing is, if you carry a particular love for humanity, if you have something to give and you're okay with being vulnerable for the community to make sure that change happens, and if you, you have the courage um, to be able to take the criticism and the wrath that comes along with it and you just have this, you're, you're compelled You know something is compelling you, and when you think about how does the change happen, I have these ideas, but how does the change happen? And you keep looking for someone else to do it. Maybe it's you. You know, and so thinking about how does that change happen? If you carry a vision, um, you can't expect somebody else to carry out a vision that you're holding. So go ahead and do it. You know. I didn't run because I just felt like, oh, i got it. And, you know, I know I ran and I was <laughs> very uncomfortable the entire time. I'm still uncomfortable being in the seat because I want to do more and I want to know more every day. Every day we're learning and growing. I say go after that thing, because if you feel like you have something for your community, what happens if you don't? go ahead and do that work because what if you were the one to hold what were you, if you were the one to hold um people's um safety you know in your hands and and i can if, just using the example really quickly of what we were able to do on the steps of the, of the, you know the US Capitol just a few weeks ago you know i um i came here as a politivist a politician and an activist they're married i'm not going to drop either one of them um but you know, I stood on the on those steps and just said, hey, look, we'll just come and sleep here. You know, there were, I didn't have, you know, there was no one else that I pulled that from. It was because I was here. And so what about someone else? Senator Elizabeth Warren said to me, she said, um, she said that she wondered what, like, if it really made a difference if she was in this, that she's in the seat that she's in versus someone else. And she said that, I helped her to see that it makes a difference. It makes a difference that you're here versus someone else. So anybody thinking about doing it, step up. If you feel that pull, if you feel compelled, step up, dig into it, go work for someone else and try to see, go volunteer, you know, get involved and move forward.
3: In the words of Elizabeth Warren, go Corey. Um, On on Tuesday, speaking of Senator Warren, uh, you co-introduced the Keeping Renters Safe Act, which would reinstate the federal eviction moratorium put in place by the Biden administration that SCOTUS struck down last month. You've been a leader on this issue. You've been the leader on this issue. Can you tell us a bit about the bill, uh, what it seeks to do, and the urgency to pass it?
0: Sure. Um, When the Supreme Court struck down that most recent moratorium, um, which would have helped people out through October third. They said that it was because the Department of Health and Human Services lacked the legal authority to mandate such a protection. So, what we're doing with um, the uh, Keeping Renters Safe Act is clarifying. It's as simple as that. Clarifying that the Secretary of HHS has the permanent authority to implement an eviction of a, a moratorium. For the purposes of um protecting people during these public health emergencies. Very simple. Um, and uh this moratorium will last for at least 60 days after the emergency is over. Um, an eviction should not be a death sentence, um, but that's what that's what it is right now when we're talking about this happening during this um deadly global pandemic. Um, it's our job as legislators to keep our um, community safe. And this is one way. So what this um, act would do is it would protect um, people who, if so um, it applies to all eviction filings, all hearings, judgments, and executions. Uh, and uh, so then that way, this is not based upon, because, you know, I, we know that before some of the issue was, well, it was on, it was only um, these, um, uh, the moratorium applied to people that were having um, trouble paying their rent. Well, this goes further than that. And this will be automatic. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to go find out where I can get, I can apply and do it. Are there translation services? You know, do I have internet to be able to apply? Like none of those things would be a factor. This just makes it automatic.
3: That is great. Uh, Finally, just to end on a light note, Ben and Jerry's, as we mentioned before, announced a new flavor to promote a bill you introduced called the People's Response Act. Have you tried the flavor and is it a winner?
0: The flavor is a winner. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. the flavor is a winner. And, uh, you know, and the thing is I don't drink coffee, but it's a coffee flavor and it has like, um, uh, uh, fudge and uh, brownie pieces, but it's really good. Even though I'm not a <laughs> coffee person, like I love the flavor. So, um, I need, you need, you know, uh, the other thing is let's, let me just say that the, um, it has uh, the coffee that's uh, the coffee flavoring comes from uh, uh, a black-owned coffee company and then um the uh the, the design. Have y'all seen the design? Mm-hmm. It is amazing. Um a, a woman by the name of Lacey uh created that design and it is absolutely beautiful. It speaks to the work that we're trying to do with the people's response that we're just we're just saying, look, we want. Um, public health emergencies. We want medical, uh, um, uh, mental health emergencies to be those calls to be responded to by people who do that work, mental health experts, people that are in that field versus having police to show up. And this is a, something that has been proven, tried and proven. Even police officers, when we spoke to them in Denver, talked about how this has helped them because now they know that this is a call that I don't need to go out on. We'll send those Responders that do this actual work, and that frees them up to go and um, work other calls. Um, and so, this is not a knock against um, the work that police officers are doing. Um, you know that that you know, like if someone calls nine one one, making sure someone shows up. This is this is not taking away from that. This is saying that um, police officers aren't paid to be social workers. We want social workers to be so, social workers, just like I'm your nurse, and I. but you don't want me to be your surgeon today because the surgeon didn't show up.
3: <laughs> That's great. And also, it sounds like Ben and Jerry has really understood the assignment. Yeah,
0: here. yeah totally. <laughs> oh,
3: they did a great job. <laughs> That's awesome. Representative Cory Bush, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and thank you. you for all the work that you do for the people of Missouri and for the people of the U.S. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. And welcome back. Uh, I'm really excited about today's personal political topic. It's kind of a special one. It's kind of one that we were driven to the point of having to do, but are glad that we're doing it. Um, Alyssa, I've seen some kind of crazy stuff circulating online about health and women's health and COVID specifically. Have you
4: seen that like among your high school friends, like people spreading mis and disinfo? Oh, girl, we know we've been talking about some of my high school friends. And yeah, there's a lot of things that you can only describe as made up. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I feel like we're going to have to science
3: our way out of this. And since you and I are not scientists, we're going to bring in our favorite doctor, I'm sorry to my doctor, but this is my favorite doctor. <laughs> uh, Dr. Heather Irabunda. She is an OBGYN in New York City. She received her Bachelor of Arts from the University of Pennsylvania in 2004. She did her post back work at SUNY Buffalo. She completed her doctorate of medicine at Albert Einstein College of Medicine at Yeshiva University. She completed her residency at the National Capital Consortium, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. She also was an attending physician in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology in Fort Drum, New York, helping soldiers, spouses, and veterans. After completing four years of medical school, four years of residency, and four years as an active-duty Army OBGYN, She now works in New York City Health and Hospitals. And now she's here talking to us on a podcast. Dr. Heather, (laughs) thank you so much for being here again. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. I feel like I need to ask really good questions because otherwise I'll be taking you away from serving the reproductive health care of New York for no good reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no pressure on me and Alyssa today to ask really great questions. No pressure on me. I, I feel
2: like my own CV scares <laughs>
3: me. <laughs> well, um, I. you know what? That is good to hear because sometimes, like, I talk to really impressive women, and I'm like, "How are? How do you just go through your life without being like I'm intimidated by myself?" <laughs> you just keep going. Yeah, you just keep going with it. That. <laughs> well, that's great advice. So, first, before we get into what we're here to talk about today, I have to ask, how is your feud with Vagisil?
2: Um. So. They've been quiet. They shut off their comments, you know, which I think is funny. That's what you do. I mean, I've shut up, I'll shut off my comments when the anti-vaxxers get to me. So I understand the bullying and maybe to that, so I'm considered a cyber bully. But I'm sorry. If you make products that make people super, like shameful about their own bodies and you capitalize over the fact that we don't know any better, like, I'm going to (laughs) bully you.
3: Sorry, you're going to get bullied. Yeah. And the bullying was over a product for teens, right? Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. So literally in
2: their advertisements, they talk about how these products are supposed to make your vagina smell like an orange creamsicle. And I'm like, are you serious right oh now? And this is what you're telling teenagers is, like, the right thing to do. And it's like, and and it's called OMV. Like, <sighs> <laughs> what? Oh, my vagina. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, my vagina. <laughs> my vagina hurts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Orange creamsicle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. orange creamsicle so they're like you know when you have period funk and you you know do your little like after school sports use our orange creamsicle um smelling washes wipes they even have some other things where it's like like basically vajayshals so (laughs) facials for your vagina or vulva really and then that's the other thing too they like don't Delineate between a vagina and a vulva Because those are two different things Vaginas inside Oh
1: my god
3: <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like there are huge industries That have cropped up around Convincing us that smelling like a human being Is not the way that we're supposed to smell Right, like I
2: feel like vaginas are supposed to smell like Vaginas, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I think it would be really weird If they smelled like Yeah, and I, I, I find it off-putting as Like an OB when you're like I mean, I'm not dating you or whatever, so, like, you don't have to get, like, extra special for me. So when people, like, really lay it on thick, I'm like, I mean, I don't know what you were expecting to happen during this visit, but I'm just doing a pop star. Wait, so people, like,
3: do special, like, pre-OBGYN, like, grooming? That's polite. That's that's That's, like, a sweet sentiment.
4: I got to be honest. I do it. It's, you do? It's respect. I it's it. respect. It's like, I mean, I don't, I don't creamsicle myself, which by the way, I actually think that Good. probably smells like Murphy's oil soap, if we're being honest. <laughs> but but no, I take a little I take five minutes to be like, this person has a hard job, let's not make it harder.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, <laughs> but I feel like as I've become an OBGYN, I've been actually worse about this because I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, like. I mean, we're still... I don't know when the last time I shaved my legs was, and, like, I always say whenever I have to do a vaginal, like, you know, get my own pap smear, it'll be probably the next time I shave my legs, because, I mean, who wants to see that? But it's been, like, since the pandemic started, <laughs> or and it's like... And somebody sent me a razor, like, through, you know, like, you know, people sent you stuff, and I told people I was going to use it six months ago, <laughs> and
3: it hasn't happened. <laughs> I really. Uh, next time you're on, we're going to ask for an, uh, a leg hair update because I'm very curious. Oh yes, please about do. this journey. Um, okay, so second, and on a more serious note, I know doctors and other healthcare providers have been stretched really thin during the pandemic, and you know I know social media isn't real, but I see you on social media every day, and you're like there, you're ready to take on the world, you're out there like combating misinformation. Like, how do you keep your spirits up and do your job and continue to educate the public.
2: Well, it can be hard sometimes and I definitely went through a funk a few weeks ago where I was just like I feel and all of us do. All of us like who are physicians or scientists on Instagram or TikTok or wherever when you just see that uh, like the vaccination rates are not going up like we would like them to or we see the delta variant taking over it can be so upsetting and you're like, what am I even doing this for? Or when you get like attacked by tons of like anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, it can be rough. But at the same time, I get a lot of like people telling me thank God you're here, like, keep going. Like, I get a lot of um, messages from people that are like, keep going. And then I also find some of it funny. I guess maybe I have like a troll nature (laughs) because I feel like I like to troll trolls and it becomes like a game for me, which maybe is not a great thing. But I feel like, you know what? Like, Far too often, medical professionals or scientists were told, take the high road and, like, don't engage and just give the information. And it's like, yes, I'm going to give the information, but I'm also a human. And, like, we need to, like, start talking to people about when they're being completely unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, for example, like, my sister, love her to death. She just got vaccinated, like, 10 days ago. Oh, good. Congrats. And, like, literally... Yes, and she went through and like I'm out here for months, almost a year talking about, you know, get vaccinated. The vaccine is fine and she's like she's like literally one of the people who would probably respond to my like post like you're crazy. Like I don't believe you. What about my fertility? What about this? What about that? And I've had to deal with that like in my own personal life as well. And so you know, I've had a whole bunch of conversations with her where it's like, I get that you're scared and I get that you don't want to do this. But like we have to talk about being reasonable sometimes, you know, and we have to like start having those conversations where it's like you need to be we, we need to have a reasonable conversation about this. It's like. You can die in a car crash, but you still get in a car every day. You know what I mean? Like you could, you know, there are a lot of things that can happen with so many things. Why is it this particular vaccine or this particular or wearing the mask that bothers you? And let's have a like a a conversation about being
3: reasonable about it. Yeah. You know, it it also has this is kind of brought into relief for me. The fact that people are really bad at assessing risk comparable to other risks, Mm -hmm. Like it's so much more risky to – Okay, it's like, okay, we're afraid of things going into our bodies that we don't really know about, which we do know about what this is. But why aren't we, you know, breaking down the doors of the EPA about people living in places with chemicals that are much more demonstrably harmful to fertility than this – Uh, This technology that's taken 20 years to develop. And
2: you know what's kind of interesting that you say when you say that is that um, I think that's why science communication is key because I think that a lot of medical people and and scientists take for granted that people understand all the risky things they do every day, right? That they make those risk assessments often. So we're here like Dude, you take all this over-the-counter meds like that could literally at, like land you in the hospital because we see it happen where people are like, Oh, like it told me to take two, but I took like <laughs> 10 because I was like, why not? You know?
3: Or <laughs> <laughs> like people who take it's Tylenol like, <laughs> to prevent hangovers. It's right. like, you've been drinking, don't right. take Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's
2: like one of those things where you're like do you like understand the things that you do normally or like my favorite which my sister like will be okay with me mentioning this but like she'd be like oh my god do i know what i'm putting in my body while like the next story on her instagram is like her smoking hookah like that what (laughs) like do you know what's in that hookah dude like do you know do you actually know (laughs)
4: Alyssa, you looked like you wanted to say something. I was just going to say that one of my uh, friends uh, up here, she told me the story. She went and got her vaccine, her whole family's vaccinated, but most of her friends are not. And she has gotten into fights with them. She, Her husband basically took to Facebook and burned the place down, told them all how stupid they were. They weren't going to be talking. She sees one of her friends. They get into this argument. And the woman says to her, you don't know what's in that. You don't know what you put in your body. And she looked at her and she goes, this coming from the woman who bought heroin in the park. And she was like, <laughs> she said it just like stopped them cold. And she said for a minute, she thought she'd made progress, and the woman was just like, that's different. Like, what? No, it's not. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And that's exactly what's interesting about all of these debates, is that so often, like, we are not assessing the risk in our daily lives with all of the things we are doing. And yes we have to talk about what risks you feel are acceptable and which ones you're not like okay with. But like, again, let's be reasonable guys. Like, you know, many of us lived through the eight, well, I was a a child in the eighties. And like, I think about all of the things that are no longer acceptable. Like the fact that, you know, it's like, car seats, what are those? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or like, even the vaccines that we've gotten in the past that like, everybody's like, oh no, these are acceptable. These are okay. These are like steady. And it's like, but do you really know how steady they were before they went into people's arms? And people were just like, you know what? I'd rather not die <laughs> like of smallpox. <laughs> so I'm just
3: going to get it. <laughs> and then we'll take our chances there. Right. Right. And then, you know, there's things like hormonal birth control, which people are, you know, I don't know that they they studied it for the 20 30 years that women actually take it. So we don't really know like but have decided that the benefits outweigh the risks in the case of the people that take it. You know, it's it's there's so much going on. Okay, let's get down to like specifics about COVID vaccines and uh myths and truths around those things. So can you talk to us a little bit about the specific risks to the health and fertility, like the gynecological health of uh, people who get COVID?
2: So in terms of the vaccine and like risks of fertility and things of that nature, we don't believe that it increases your risk of fertility, meaning that we don't think that affects your ovulation, meaning releasing an egg from your ovary. We don't believe that it affects your uterus to... To the extent that you would, uh, an embryo would not be able to be um, implanted into a uterus, we don't think that it affects an embryo at all. And the way that we know this is that um, the really nerdy people who do IVF, right? So think about it, they're the guys in the labs, they want really good outcomes for their patients, right? So they want these um, couples to have babies, right? Or these p- individuals to have babies. So they, like completely watch all of these outcome for all of these outcomes so they've looked at people who've been vaccinated and have seen through every step of the process that it hasn't increased any risk of having assess- a successful IVF cycle or successful egg retrieval. Or even we've seen people who've gotten vaccinated at the beginning of their pregnancies and we've seen them have healthy babies at the
3: end. Yeah. Right. I was so, eight or, weeks, ex- eight weeks and 12 exactly. weeks.
2: So and we've seen people get vaccinated right before. I have patients that have either gotten vaccinated in the fall or now pre- I mean not in the fall, sorry, in the spring, are now pregnant in the fall. I've had people get um vaccinated and within a Week or two, they were pregnant. They're like, oops, like, is this going to be a bad deal? And we're like, we don't think so. And their pregnancies have been going on great. So we have seen, we have been able to compile a lot of data to show the safety of this. And also, when we talk about how these vaccines operate, we know that it stays mostly in the deltoid muscle in your arm. So your arm is here, (laughs) your uterus is down there. They're not very close. And we know that um, these vaccines have mRNA, which, like, have to be utilized by the cell to make the, like, little proteins that we want your body to make antibodies for. And that all happens in your
3: arm. Nowhere else. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even get close to your reproductive tract. Hmm. So what about the, in fact, so the alternative, if a person chooses not to get vaccinated because they're worried about fertility or they're worried about an ongoing pregnancy? I think I read this week that something like only 25% of pregnant people have the COVID vaccine. Um, what are the risks of being infected with COVID when you're pregnant versus, uh, yeah, like compared to these non-existent risks that don't exist with the vaccine right
2: so we actually now have a lot more information about that right so initially last year because people you know were I mean I think everyone's still kind of scared of COVID but I think people were uh, weren't moving around as much like people really locked down especially pregnant people so we didn't have as much data about this as we do coming from kind of this year because people are more mobile people are going out people are doing things and even pregnant people people are doing things too. And so we're seeing more cases, and especially with the Delta variant, we're seeing more cases of pregnant people getting infected with COVID, and it's scary. Okay. So first off, we are seeing that when we compare non-pregnant individuals with pregnant individuals, there is an increased risk of these individuals having more severe disease with COVID. So pregnant um, people are more likely to get admitted to the ICU. They're more um, likely to get put on a ventilator. And then um, being put on a ventilator puts your risk exponentially higher for death. So that's what we're seeing with that. Additionally, um, we talk about a lot of the respiratory issues with COVID. But we think that COVID kind of works on your vasculature as well, because people have heard about like the clots and such that people get with COVID. And so COVID kind of puts you at higher risk for clots. Pregnancy alone puts you at higher risk for clots than non-pregnant individuals. Adding two things that cause you to Um, have a higher risk of clots actually really increases that risk. So we see a lot more of that too in pregnant individuals. So that's, you know, so that's even aside from the respiratory issues. We're also seeing, which is really scary, like an increase of like stillbirths and things like that with, um, people who are pregnant with COVID. And that's super scary because I mean, we think some of it has to do with this whole vascular issue, but we also feel like some of it has to do with poor oxygenation that you get from having COVID. So if you're not oxygenating yourself very well, you can't oxygenate a baby that you're carrying.
3: Hmm. Yeah. And I'd imagine um, this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but the placenta, which is the entire lifeline of the baby is basically like a like an LP made out of like veins and meat. <laughs> it's like yes, so yes. heavily vascular, and anything that would endanger that, it seems, would be really dangerous to a pregnancy. Um, oh yeah. If yes. you're not having stillbirth as a possible bad outcome to a person having COVID, is there? Are you seeing a correlation between COVID positive moms and? Uh, like intrauterine growth restriction or like premature births or other things that can happen with placental problems. Right.
2: And so one big um, outcome that we do see an increase of is prematurity. And a lot of it has to do with when a pregnant person gets really ill, we have to now weigh risks and benefits, right? So it's like, what is like, and because of the fact that that baby that's growing inside of a pregnant person is utilizing a lot of energy, a lot of blood supply has to go there, you know, a lot of oxygen demand and the stress that it puts on the body. um, Sometimes we have to make the decision whether we should cut this short. And, you know, although there's risk to prematurity, but like there's a chance that being pregnant with COVID the increase, you know, keeping that baby in there may actually make it harder for that pregnancy to survive. And so, and for that person who's pregnant to survive. And so we need to, you know, weigh those risks and benefits. Also, we're just seeing an equ- an increased chance of people just going into labor early, like without even you know, this whole risk and benefit conversation of keeping pregnant. We're just seeing people going into labor earlier. Like I talked to one of my colleagues down in Texas and they are really just having a hard time with pregnant people and COVID and severe COVID illness. And there's so many, and, and from her unit, she's seen a lot of people, pregnant people in the ICU. And they seem fine. And, you know, like kind of like stabilized for what was going on in the ICU. The baby seems fine. And then all of a sudden that person goes into labor. So imagine like all of those cords and wires oh and tubes God. and things like that. And then a baby starts coming out. Uh. You know what I mean? Just because we think that some, that potentially some of the stress involved um in getting COVID probably triggers the beginning of labor, but we're still obviously trying to figure these things out. But yeah.
3: Yeah. It's it's scary. It's really scary. And like we like you said, we don't really have that much. We're just now starting to get this data. And it's I, I read last week that something like 73 um fetal deaths had occurred. So like the gestating yes. babies had occurred because of COVID. It's so scary. But so every year, I think there's like a million births in the U.S. Most people who are capable of giving birth or who have uteruses don't give birth. But there are still some right. concerns about the vaccines and the way that they affect those bodies. So what about COVID vaccines and periods? Like what what's really going on? Oh, yes. So that's a great, great, great
2: um, topic because this one, we do think that there could be some effect on people's periods or menstrual cycles with the COVID vaccine it's still being studied. I remember I went to get my hair done like a few months ago and I was so proud of my hairstylist because she got vaccinated and she was on the fence and I was like, yeah, she was telling me I got vaccinated. And then the next thing she said was like, and that my period was crazy. That vaccine messed up my period. And yes, I got the second shot, but still, (laughs) I'm like, I am not okay with it, right? And I'm like, she's like, what happened? And then I've gotten multiple messages, DMs, all of that about it. And so there was actually um, kind of an observational study that was done and it was actually through Twitter (laughs) (laughs) and a scientist. Yeah, (laughs) go Twitter. Um, There was a scientist that like just crowdsourced like, do you have periods? Like, did you get the COVID vaccine? Have you seen any changes? And there has been a higher reported level of changes with the COVID vaccine, but they're non-specific. So it's like all kinds of things. We see heavier periods, lighter periods, um, your period didn't come on time as it was too early, too late, spotting in between periods, all that stuff. And we actually think it's because the lining of your uterus, which is your endometrium, that's the part that sheds every, like, you know, if you have regular periods every month, we think that that is actually linked to the immune system. And this is getting like super techy and- Nerdy, but we think that there's a link there. And so that your body does respond to like immunologically to changes through your periods as well. And it's been described in people who have gotten flu vaccines before. So this is not anything new. Additionally, people have noticed changes in their periods with COVID. Like, so people who've gotten sick with COVID have noticed changes in their periods as well. But those haven't been discussed as much because, you know, I feel like people don't discuss periods enough. (laughs) And so I think that's what happened. But we do think that um, there can can be a change in your periods, but we don't think it's long-term and we
3: don't think that it compromises fertility. So if you get the COVID vaccine and your period is wacky the next month, it's not going to be like that forever. It's just a temporary right. change. Okay. Okay. Right.
2: And so yeah, it's
3: usually they think
2: in like one to two cycles it should kind of level itself out. Do-
4: okay. Dr. Heather, I am here to testify that that is the case for me. My <laughs> period was terrible for about 3 months after the second vax. I mean like I am 45. My period has been the same for 20 years. I've been on the NuvaRing for 20 years. And all of a sudden, it came a week early. It was like twice as heavy. My cramps were twice as bad. And it has, in fact, leveled off to just terrible instead of like terrible to the 10th. to the And it's just terrible again. But it is. But I did find something and it was startling. You know, I think that's the thing is that like when something has, if you are someone who's like super regular and you notice the change, you're like, what is happening? And guess what? It didn't do anything, but come earlier and I bled a little heavier and it was fine. And so it's really not a reason to not get the vaccination. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not, and we, we're pretty certain it's not long-term and because I, again, your story is like, basically the story I've heard from everyone who's seen changes to their period where it's like, yeah, it was a little wacky for either that one time, a few weeks, few, you know, maybe even up to a couple months. And then after that, it took care of itself. And we've seen that with the flu vaccine as well. Hmm.
3: It also happens when you change birth control methods. Like if yep. if you get on a different brand of pill or your insurance tells you that they suddenly are only going to cover the generic, like you can have like periods are frustrating because nobody knows anything sure. about, nobody knows anything i mean people do know some things but like you said i don't think but not
2: been... as much as we want yeah but not as much as we want and something that's very interesting too about it and like i like to tell people is that be, the reason why we don't know as much about all of these things like periods and fertility and like issues that that plague you know People who have vaginas and uteruses and ovaries is because those people have historically been referred, you know, considered women and women have not been studied in medicine for as long as men have. And it has a lot to do with. Um, sexism, to be honest, because like we like it wasn't until like the 80s and 90s that we acknowledged that there was a difference between how women perceive heart attacks. Hmm. (laughs) Like that was not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they just assumed that every single person who had a heart attack would experience it the same way. And so what ended up happening is that although women don't tend to have heart attacks as much as men, they were more likely to die from them because they people didn't think they were having a heart attack for an extended period of time hmm. because they present differently than men do. And so it goes to like even reproductive, female redu- reproductive health. It hasn't been studied as much. So that's why we don't know as much. Mm-hmm.
3: I want to ask you, uh, before we get into the reasons that people kind of distrust the system, Um, and rely on their peers instead. Um, like what are some of the wackiest, uh, misinformation that you've heard from patients or that you've seen online, uh, about COVID, uh, the vaccine and like fertility and the reproductive system? Like, have you seen any that you were like, what are you talking about?
2: (laughs) I feel like most of it, I feel like that because I'm like, this like escalated really quickly. (laughs) That's usually usually what I think. I'm like, oh, wow. Wow. My, the one that gets me is that luciferous gene or lucifer one that goes around where they're like, there is something that's put into the COVID vaccine that is like an agent of the devil. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. It's like a luciferase. That's what it's called, luciferase. And that the, the vaccine... Yes. The vaccine contains this, and that's why it can cause infertility. It can cause you basically to become a devil worshiper. Like, it's it.
4: I try not to read too much of it Wait. because
2: it hurts my Dr. brain. Dr. Heather,
4: I saw this. And I saw it, the Church of Satan. Did you see this? The Church of Satan yeah, replied yeah. and said, keep us out of this. <laughs>
2: yes. And I thought it was hilarious because they're like, no, we <coughs> like do not subscribe to your lack of science. We believe in science here at the Church of Satan. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was like, wait, what? Like uh like i don't know how we leaped so far and like what the devil and, and what the devil has to do with this and then there's like my my favorite too is like how people will like to believe disgraced scientists right so like even the whole proposal that the vaccine could cause infertility was started by this guy that got fired from Pfizer many many years ago well before COVID was a thing before we knew about SARS-CoV-2, which causes the coronavirus that causes COVID. This guy was fired a long time ago for probably other issues he had (laughs) with not believing science or coming up with cockamamie, like, conspiracy theories. And then he's like, Yo, let me tell you right now, the spike protein and like this placental protein are very, very similar. And so you're going to be making antibodies against a placenta and then causing. Well, first off, he started off with it's going to cause miscarriages. Right. And then we're like, no, bro, doesn't work like easily debunked it, like not enough, like, you know, they're not similar enough. Like people went through the whole sequencing of the freaking spike protein and (laughs) this was central protein to like debunk everything. And then they're like, you know, on multiple layers. And then the best, (laughs) the next best part of this was then he was like, oh no, just kidding. It doesn't do that it doesn't cause miscarriage, it just causes infertility. And then we're like, how? And then he comes up with another conspiracy theory that's, like, slightly different. And we're just like, dude, be consistent. (laughs) Like, what is it? Like, is it miscarriages? Is it um, infertility? How does it work? And why are people so, like, gung-ho about someone who got fired for doing a bad job years ago. Like, and he comes up. It's like your cousin who's like, can't keep a job. Who's like sitting, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like (laughs) sitting in his garage, coming up with stuff. Like, are you going to trust that guy to give you like business advice? Probably not. So you probably shouldn't trust
3: the guy who got fired from the job (laughs) because he know how to do it well. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's incredible rant, and I think it should just play automatically. Like Facebook should just program it to play automatically when like somebody posts something dumb and anti-vax. Um, I want to talk like a little bit about you. You mentioned people like being unreasonable, but I don't think that anti-vax sentiment. Came like just out of nowhere. Like there are communities, obviously, as you're f- very familiar with. Um, there are people who have just been traditionally overlooked or discounted or ignored. Um, so, like, can you talk a little bit about, especially in like the world of gynecology, how did we get from like what it should be is a place where people who have uteruses can go to be treated? like human beings and like be talked to like adults, but like, why aren't we there? What historically has kept people out? Well,
2: I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the patriarchy in general, right? So like, um, especially in communities of color, there have been tons of instances where um, people have gone to medical institutions to get care and have been entered into kind of experimental situations. And there have been instances, like, for example, in Puerto Rico, like there's there was a whole bunch of sterilizations that happened in women who were seeking gynecologic care, right? And they weren't aware that they were having these done to them. So, and then um, back in the day... Um, James Marion Sims, who is considered the father of modern gynecology, he was a slave owner and friends to many a slave owner and developed surgeries to treat women for various um, issues, gynecologic issues, by experimenting on slaves who had no idea what was going on with them. And, you know, there's all these different instances where especially um, kind of marginalized communities have been used in medical experiments and have not been um, informed that they were a part of experimental treatments or whatnot, or just things that weren't even going to benefit them at all. Um, It it breeds a sense of distrust. And so when something new comes out, they're like, are you sure that this is something that's actually meant to help me? Or is it that you're just using me as an experiment. Like, you know, you may have used like family members or ancestors of mine or whatever. And so there's that. Also, there's like a very paternalistic nature that um, was taught in medicine for a long time. So for example, um, the whole, the doctor's always right. Doctors know best, right? Like that's, Like, I know my mom subscribes to that a lot of times. Um, And she's of an older generation. Like, some of our grandparents probably were like, well, the doctor told me whatever, so that's what I did. I don't know what's going on. I don't really care. I feel like they know it, right? And doctors we we get taught that a lot and so we're not taught to explain things and we're not taught to tell people what we don't what we do and don't know and what the limitation of things are so we may have built something as being curative like so for example in the world of gynecology we prescribe birth control pills a lot right so we're like oh yeah just take the pill it's going to like it's going to fix it right we don't necessarily tell you that it's treating symptoms and not necessarily you know, curing the problem, that the problem is not curable because we don't even know why it happened, you know, why it's happening in the first place. And I think it's that lack of communication that has bred a lot of distrust and then um, has created these pockets of um, distrust and anti-vax sentiments and anti-medicine, anti-science sentiments.
4: Dr. Heather, here's a question. So you talk about how your sister was hesitant to get her vaccination. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like there's a spectrum of people who are currently unvaccinated. <laughs> there are the people uh, like my someone I know up here who believes that she her DNA can be changed by being next to someone who has been vaccinated, right? So there's that level of person. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who are mm-hmm. just still resistant. What Mm -hmm. methods have you seen be successful in convincing people to get the vaccination?
2: Well, it's a few things. And what I think is very interesting is I've seen this change in my patients, Mm -hmm. right? Because I had most of my patients were like very hesitant to get the vaccine, very, very heavy. And it's been a few things. I think really talking about what can happen with COVID, like really, really doubling down on that, because I feel like when people are like, oh, it's like the flu, it's like a cold and whatnot, right? And not really acknowledging how bad it can be and how Life changing it could be, and sometimes we talk about the most severe issues that happen with COVID, like death, right, or needing to be on a ventilator or being in an ICU. But there are plenty of people, one of which I work with, who had COVID pre you know, b- before the vaccine was available. I mean, she was out for her requisite amount of time because you know, once you get COVID, you like have to be away from people as you should, and she came back to work and it's a year later and she can barely walk from the parking lot to the like labor and delivery floor. She has to take breaks during the day. She, you know, there's all these things that, you know, chronic fatigue, difficulties breathing, unable to do physical activ- activity you once did. There are people I know who were very athletic, who can no longer do any of those things because their lungs are so bad, and they didn't have COVID that landed them in the hospital. And I think that we need to start talking about everybody doubles down on long-term effects of the vaccine, but we also, like, don't know long-term effects of COVID. And a lot of times it doesn't look that great. So I think talking about that is good. But I also think um, some of these requirements to be a a functioning member of society have worked a lot. I've seen that work a lot up here.
4: Oh, I was going to ask about mandates. Have you found that mandates helped or that people doubled down like I'm not a sheep. You're not going to tell me what to do with my body.
2: Yeah. So it has mixed reviews. But I think that it's starting to squeeze people a lot. And I've seen that where it's like, <laughs> actually a big part of why my sister got vaccinated was the mandates. She likes going to the gym. Her gym, you know, we're in New York City. If you are unvaccinated, you can't go inside to the gym. And <laughs> that was one of the big things that tipped her over there. She's like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> Shoot me out <laughs> because if I don't go to the gym, I'm a mean, <laughs> evil person and no one likes me. Also too, like- a lot of employment opportunities are being um, are being held in question. Or if you're looking for a job, they're requiring you to be vaccinated. And so I've definitely met a ton of people who are like, well, I want to keep my job or I want to have a certain job or go to a wedding or go to like whatever and I need to be vaccinated. Like that's another reason my sister got vaccinated. One of my cousins is getting married in a few weeks and is requiring everyone to be vaccinated. And so she's, my sister's supposed to help out with doing makeup for this wedding and she needs to be fully vaccinated before this wedding in October. So
4: that also helped this. Do you think here in upstate New York, there is a hospital in Louisville that will stop delivering babies at the end of the month because so many um, faculty, so many people who work at the hospital are not getting vaccinated. Have you, why do people, so this is, this is a very confusing thing to me. So people who work in science don't want to get the vaccination. And so What? what why? why? Dr. Heather, tell us why. I actually worked in
2: that area. So I know Lauville very well and the inhabitants of such. And we actually got um, at the hospital that I worked with upstate. They actually got referrals from Lowellville, things like that. So I, and I've driven through Lowell like a few times in my life. So I actually know where this is, which I was like, oh my God, why do I know this? But, um, so I mean, it's kind of, it depends on what you're subscribing to as someone who follows science, right? There are people who don't keep up with current data. There are people who don't keep up with current, you know, education and things like that. So, like, it's just like you'll have some docs who've been working for 30 years who may not read the medical journals and keep up with all of the continuing medical education that they should. And so their index that they're working from is from like 85 when the rest of us are in 2021. And so for their knowledge base, for whatever it is, they may say, okay, like this doesn't sit well with me because of what I know. And it's like, well, if you haven't stayed current on current scientific methods and data, then yeah, of course you're going to be like, I'm reticent about this. So I think there's a lot of that that's going on. And then, I mean, people are people. Doctors may not keep up with current data because it requires you to read on your own time as well. (laughs) So a lot of us, have to read these medical journals at home, you know, like, or you can get them as audiobooks now so you can listen to them in the car or on the subway on your way into work or way back from work. You know, there's a lot of things that we have to do aside from being clinically focused on patients. And so, or, you know, whatever that case may be. So if you're not keeping up with current, current science, you, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to be really cautious maybe about some of these things and then also like doctors are people nurses are people you know what i mean and so they are also a product of their surroundings right So it's really hard sometimes when you're in an area and you're like the one person who's like, no, but I like actually think that this isn't that bad. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, whatever. And that rubs off on you as well. And so I feel like my experience with anti-science sentiment amongst people who should be pro-science has been that there may not be up to date on... um, scientific theories and data as of current and sometimes they're resistant to that as well and sometimes the politics makes its way into science which is sad but true and I've seen that happen as well and being up in that area there they're they're like politics are very 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 much in the, like, anti-vax DeSantis, (laughs) like, wheelhouse.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, where I live, I live in Los Angeles, and I live in a kind of neighborhood that's on the edge of, like, a very gentrified area, like a kind of hipster area. And I wonder where the anti-vax COVID uh, conspiracy sentiment comes among people that I... Live around who are massively, for the most part, pretty privileged. Like, or you know, they're legacy people who haven't been like priced out of the neighborhood. Um, like, I was I was gonna go give birth at a birthing center because I wanted to have a unmedicated birth. And Alyssa knows this story. Um, I wanted to have an ad- unmedicated birth for my own reasons. No, n- no judgment about people who are like, give me the epidural, like whatever. I this is just what I wanted for myself. And we found a birthing center that seemed like it could – it had everything we wanted. And right before I was about to start, like, transfer my care from my OB-GYN to the midwives at the birthing center, I found out that they're not anti-vax, but they're, like, anti-vax tolerant. So they don't require – so, like, what gives – the people that are going to this birthing center, for the most part, are people who – absolutely have access to information and education and should know better. So what's up with the overlap between like crunchy white women and anti-vax sentiment? And like how do we fix that? Oh, yeah. So it what I what I enjoy
2: about this conversation is that this actually brings to light like kind of like anti-science sentiments that we see in all of these groups pre-COVID. So it's kind of bringing up stuff that's been there all the time. And now it's just on a larger scale because it's kind of like we have a public health crisis and we kind of need to corral people to do things so that we can curb it. And now you're seeing some of the things that we have been kind of pushed up that what we've pushed up against recently with kind of, you know, we have, you know, your crunchy moms who are like, no, like, cause a lot of the, there are a lot of these people who may not want to vaccinate their children for anything or do alternate vaccination schedules or alternate, you know, treatment schedules for lots of things. And a lot of it comes from like bodily autonomy stuff, kind of gone, like, 10 steps ahead. Right. And again, it's like not assessing your risk because for example, I feel like a lot of times the argument that's made in these circles are like, well, how sick are you going to get from COVID? Right. Like, and, or like, you know, in terms of birthing, right. Well, should anybody have a, a hospital birth? Because like, pre-hospital people were giving birth outside, right, outside of hospitals. And it's like, yeah, and there were a whole bunch of people who died, right? And it's like, they forget Mm -hmm. that part. You know what I mean? It's like, it's always like the half sentence where it's like, oh, people have been doing this for centuries. And there's definitely people who are healthy or whatever the case may be, who can have, certain types of birds right but we have to stratify and then figure out where you belong in that and i find that in a lot of these circles especially like people who have a lot of access to information and means is that they may consider themselves in a low risk category falsely so they're like oh like if I get COVID like I'm probably gonna be fine like first off they're like I'm probably not gonna get COVID right (laughs) and then if I do I'll be fine or if I do they'll be able to take care of me because guess what I live in a great neighborhood with great hospitals and like top-of-the-line care and it's like but like do you really want to be at death's door and us having to usually use that like ECMO or whatever it is that's you know, tons and tons of money and kind of experimental to like help you out? Or do you want to like avoid the risk in the first place? It's like, I just feel like they actually rely heavily on the fact that, you know, a- as much as they're like, oh, no, we don't want interventions. We want to be low interventions. I think they actually rely a lot on the fact that we have a lot of things that can save them.
3: hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've never heard that brought up before. But people who have always been lucky think that they will continue to be lucky because, like, nothing has ever proven that they're not going to continue to be lucky. Right, which is, right. It's a bad way to invest, and it's also a bad way to, like, conduct your <laughs> personal safety. Right. And
2: it's interesting that you bring up the point also of, like, the anti-vax adjacent because I feel like – Um, that's becoming a whole genre of medical provider as well, like where it's like, well, I got vaccinated and because I want to save myself (laughs) from getting COVID or whatnot. But like, if you decide not to, like, I mean, you know, like that's cool too. And like, and you can be around me and yes, you can be around patients. And then I challenge that with like, wouldn't it be really sad if, Someone comes in to deliver their baby and gets COVID from their midwife or gets COVID from their nurse or their doctor, like that would be awful, right? And so that's why there's vaccine mandates in medicine, in healthcare facilities for everything. Like we do like, so we get we have to show our vaccination records before we get a job. <laughs> and we have to do blood work to make sure that we have our, you know, like antibodies, right? Our antibodies are right. a, an appropriate titer. And if they're not, they're going to give us more <laughs> vaccinations. <laughs> and most people have subscribed to that. <laughs> but, and they understand that, yes, we want to do that to avoid giving some uh, somebody the measles or mumps or, you know, whooping cough, but they won't do the same thing for COVID. You know, people are still like, ah, about COVID. And I think that's really sad. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, Dr. Heather, we are running out of time for this segment. We've been talking for almost an hour. That's <laughs> incredible. And I could keep talking to you for another hour. There's other things that we have to talk about still with you. And we'd love to have you to talk about, like, fat phobia in medicine. Sure, yeah. And we'd love to talk to you about, like, you know, women who have trouble communicating with their OBGYNs. And so we would love to have you back sometime in the near future, hopefully, when you can spare of the course, time. Of course. Of course. I'd love to be back. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a break, but don't go away just yet because we need to know what you're feeling petty about this
2: week. (laughs) Okay.
3: Stick around. Okay, welcome back. We are almost to the end of the show, but not quite. You all still have to hear what we are feeling petty about this week. So I'm not really angry about anything specific and stupid right now. Like, everything I'm mad about is a big deal, you know? I mean, it might be just, like, hormones making me think that everything I'm mad about is a big deal. Um, But here's something I feel petty about this week. (laughs) I wish that there were more members of Congress that had names that would lend themselves well to be dog names. Um, I went through (laughs) – I went through – I was like on hold with my insurance company this week, and I, just to keep myself occupied, um, went through the list of all the members of Congress, and I picked all of the ones that could be dog names, and I turned them into dog names. So I'm going to read Dog (laughs) Congress to you guys right now. There's not that many. There should be more. Okay, Dog Congress, we've got Barco Rubio from Florida, <laughs> Lizzie Fetcher, a Democrat from Texas, Fred Pupton, a Republican from Michigan, Susan Wild, I didn't change anything about her name, I just think Susan Wild would be a good dog name. She's a Democrat of Pennsylvania. Lloyd Doggett from Texas, <laughs> Mutt, Mutt Romney from That's Utah, Dutch Puppisburger who is uh, from Maryland, Terrier Sewell, Democrat from Alabama,
4: and Yip Roy, a Republican from Texas. And that's my dog Congress. There's not enough dog names in Congress. I love it. Erin, we should go back through, remember when we went through all the awesome names that Supreme Court justices have had in time? Yes. Like uh, Salmon, Portland, Chase, and those. We should go through, we should make cat names out of the Supreme Court justices. Oh my God. 100%. That would be 100%.
3: All right, Alyssa, what
4: are you feeling petty about this week? Okay, so uh, Dr. Heather, maybe you can help me here. But here's why I feel petty. I was thinking about you and serendipitously, like while we are taping this, I have my period. And I would like to know why we have navigated brain surgery. We have all sorts of really advanced, advanced things. Why can't we find fucking medicine that just takes away your cramps. Why is that so hard? Why do I have to become a junior pharmacologist and be like, "Okay, I'm going to take one Aleve back in muscle pain with one Midol and a mini Aleve." Why has nobody, why has big pharma, we would go bonkers for this. Why is there no medicine That helps us. Why is it so elusive or do people just not care? Um,
2: I think people care because you guys come in (laughs) and talk to us all day and (laughs) then we just pass that on along to the powers that be. We're like, hey, guys, we're kind of tired of people telling us that they hate us because we can't figure out why <laughs> <the> <laughs> periods are so painful. And then I don't really know what happens. It's like, you know, those suggestion boxes that you, like, put stuff in and you're like, yeah. I, and I'm one of those people who loves a good suggestion box because I have to take out my frustrations. It's like, I'm like one of those Yelp reviewers who, like, will stand in line and be, like, are, like complaining about standing in line, <laughs> like, while I'm <laughs> online, you know what I mean? And, um yeah, we pass it up and I don't know what happens (laughs) once it gets up there. I don't know if they don't care about us. I think they do. I do think, you know, as much as I'm like very, very cynical, I do think that there are some people that care, but I think that we just need people to care more about funding research into how we get this, you know, pain with our periods and how to treat it. So, talk to people who have money. <laughs> That's Basically.
1: What I got We need it. so
3: you're saying we need like a dolly parton of yes. craps. We need like a yes. a benefactor oh. who's like I'm a rich lady and this is yeah. like how I'm going to I have here's here's 10 million dollars that I will give to people who can help research Thank cramps you. or whatever. Yeah, Dolly, where are you? Yeah. We need you in the world of mental health. <laughs> oh, Dolly, I feel like Dolly has I feel like Dolly yeah, has, has done she enough. Has. We need like more more like Reba. We <laughs> let's have Reba do it.
4: Reba, if you can hear us. <laughs> Please. It's been so many years. It's been so many periods. It's been so much Advil, Aleve, Motrin, Mydol, and Pamprin. I, yeah.
3: I feel like if Reba decided to be like the Dolly of cramps, she would become like equal to Dolly in the pantheon of like um, like American heroes that were There'd like- be a Reba land. Yeah. That were oh all like, we, we like her, you know, across the political spectrum, all ages, demographics. Everyone loves Dolly Parton. I think most people love Reba McIntyre. And everyone would if she cured cramps. Um, she would
2: literally be the most popular person ever because my whole job is hearing like, well, not whole, a good part of my job is hearing people who hate the cramps associated with their periods. So like, I mean, it could also make me eliminate one part of my job, which I mean, would be sad, but would be okay. <laughs> I I I'd I take
3: it. <laughs> <I'll allow> it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dr. Heather, what are you feeling petty about this week? I'm feeling
2: petty about all of these docs, like the front like frontline worker docs, right? Have you heard about these doctors that are like, they were in Texas, right? And these are the ones who... Um, Trump aligned with last year who were talking about how COVID's not really that serious and hydroxychloroquine works really well. And one of them namely, um, was known for talking about how endometriosis is like the devil's disease. And it's because you're like being spiritually, sexually assaulted by demons. like look it up. It's great stuff, right? There's a newer iteration of this where the ivermectin debacle started, right? Where everybody's now taking horse paste to treat their COVID, right? And they have these fancy, like, online, you know, this fancy online presence, and they're selling consultations for a lot of money, And I'm feeling petty because I got to go into work (laughs) every day and bust my butt (laughs) and probably make how much they do doing one consultation (laughs) for that day by seeing like 20 patients. So like, I feel like misinformation is paying and I'm feeling petty about that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I know it sort of makes me want to believe in some kind of an afterlife, like where all of the debts, all the karmic debts will eventually be settled. <laughs> Even though, like, I'm not, I'm not like, a practicing Catholic anymore, but I do find the idea of, like, everything in the afterlife sort of being zeroed yes. out kind of nice. Yes. Like, you give your, your time and your life to trying to do what's right, Dr. Heather, and people who are giving their time and effort to doing what's wrong are seeming to profit from it. And also, like, man, using a – parasite killer to attack a virus makes about as much sense as trying to like clean up a giant blood stain on your couch with pledge (laughs) like it's not the right pledge does it does something pledged but it's not doesn't do that thing guys Anyway, um, Dr. Heather Irabunda, thank you so much for joining us this week. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Congresswoman Cory Bush for joining us. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroot. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.